Welcome to episode 128 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 128th plus time, my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Hello, Ben. I'm doing well. You know, 128 is like a power of two, and it's going to be our last one for a long time, until 256. So. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, wait, last episode? No, last, uh, okay. No, we're not okay. ending this show. This, yeah. is, this is a I was very like, sudden, serious finale. What? No, I don't think that's happening. I was waiting I think, for the candid camera cameras to come out and be like, "We pranked you." I don't. We don't have the budget on NCR to send a camera crew all the way to <laughs> Singapore. Segway. How's Singapore, Courtney? Singapore is good. Singapore is is keeping me very very busy mm-hmm. and very sleep deprived. But that's only because there's great stuff going on, and I want to write about it or record it or do something with it. Also, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a busy few days for sure. But I'm kind of glad that the tournament has now started. Like, I was, I don't know, once, like, the race was settled, and then I got here to Singapore a bit early, about a week early. So yeah. I just, you know, by the sec- by Wednesday of last week, I was like, can we just start playing matches? Like, I want to see how this whole thing shakes out. So um, I'm glad that, that the tournament is underway. It is indeed underway. We'll get to some of that, but obviously we're not going to get into any scenarios or anything because those are all a convoluted mess of if-then statements, which I love. I mean, I took... I took logic in college, and it was like weirdly zen, having to like go through twelve different if-then type scenarios, figure out stuff. It's a lot of that, and now we get double the fun with doubles also being round robin this year, and it changes the schedule because this year, because of that, mostly I guess they're going to the schedule that was previously used by the ATP World Tour Finals only. Which is well, essentially ish, ish, like like, but basically, generally that, right? It's generally there's one doubles match, and then and start off the day, and then a singles, and I guess they're doing singles and then doubles, which is the opposite, right? That's what you're saying. Well, ish. so they're, they're doing singles and or doubles first at like one p.m. Yeah. Um, and then followed by singles. Yeah. Then there's usually a legends match. Okay. In between, kind of the quote unquote sessions. Um, so there's a legends match and then singles and then doubles. Okay. So it's, it's, I just remember the ATP finals. I feel like I had to get to site earlier than I do for the WTA finals. Yeah, you might be right. I guess the, well, if you go, if because you're going to the doubles. Exactly. That was the thing, you yeah. know, and also I want to, I want to say ATP started at like noon or 11 or something. I don't know. So is it only but one ticket separate. in Singapore or is it separate sessions? That is a very good question. I do not know. Okay. I genuinely don't know what the what the what how they're or I guess how they've broken up the sessions. I yeah. kind of think that they're just one session, but don't quote me on that at, at <laughs> okay. all. That is not sourced or fact checked or insidered. Buying tickets <laughs> is a job exactly for the WT outsider who has to buy tickets. You're in the <laughs> exactly. inside. This is not your turf. Uh, I will say though, I miss, I sort of miss as a spectator. This is my first year in uh, in four years that I'm not at the WTA finals that I, I think I qualified this year, but I think like Serena, I was just like, eh, eh. You shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. You, pu- yeah. you pulled the Serena. I pulled the Maria. I'm here. I didn't shut it down. Yeah. You shut it down, but it's okay. And I enjoyed, it's okay either way. And I enjoyed Maria's comments about that, which I don't think were necessarily 
it wasn't the most direct shade she's ever thrown in her life, but you know she she definitely made it clear to herself that you know she is she wanted to be here, and she is, and it proved well for her. I mean, I guess I didn't honestly didn't get to see any of this match because it happened at some ungodly hour, which is a <laughs> common theme for the Asia Swing in general when you're not there. Uh, but what did you see from Maria? That's the one match I kind of ask more about specifically. Sure. Uh, what did you see from Maria in her first match since? Wimbledon in our first completed match in Wimbledon uh, when she managed to beat Radvanska. What are always fun matches those two have? They are always fun matches, even though run, run to quote. Yeah. Run, run, run to quote Naomi Osaka. Radvanska just keeps getting meek milled. Oh, that's also another thing I was going to get to how great that is. But we'll get yeah, to that. With Osaka we'll get, to, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to Naomi. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I was in Wuhan and I saw Maria play that, two sets and a bit against uh, Streetsova mm-hmm. um, in there. And then now having watched this match. And I just have to say, I've been across the board impressed by her level of form for someone who hasn't played a complete match since July. So what is that, like four months or something like yeah. that? So against Radvanska, she was way like cleaner than I thought she was going to be, not just in, in her ground strokes and how she was hitting, but just in... A lot of the decision-making, I felt like she had her patterns in place. She knew how she wanted to play. Um, she was keeping the ball fairly deep. We saw quite a bit of variety mm-hmm. from her, which remains to be just always a funny thing uh, because it is so awkward-looking, even though I've now seen it for a while, like in terms of all of her drop shots and her slicing and I remember early, like that. early in her career, a tennis friend of mine, uh, like a message board friend of mine, Michael Mungin, who may or may not be listening to this, like – <laughs> posted or sent something to me something that's like if I ever lost a point from Maria Sharapova Lob, I would just end it all. Or something. <laughs> and it but she has legitimately unlandsdorped herself a little bit and become not she's no Radvanska, but she has multiple things she can do with the ball now. Oh, she doesn't do so much, much, but she does she's she so can mu- do yeah. yeah. She's so she's so much more well rounded as a tennis player now. Than she was even just a year ago and two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I mean, it's um, so that that was pretty impressive. And then yeah. against Radvanska, too. I mean, because I think that when players come back from injury, what every player will tell you is that, look, I can go and I can practice all I want on a, on a court and I can drill and drill and drill and hit all of these shots. But I can't replicate match play and I can't replicate the nerves that I'm going to feel when I take the court and I'm down break point or I have break point. And so I think that that's become such like kind of an accepted truism that I just apply it to everyone. So anytime anybody's coming back from injury, I'm like, well, you know, there's going to be rust and, you know, they're not going to be as clutch. But like. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't apply as much to to Maria. Well, Maria's it had so many like mini comebacks in her recent career. She's gotten good yeah. at it, right? And because I remember sure. the the first real comeback she had from the shoulder injury was initially a disaster. Like there were some not that she was like losing everything and it was forced out of the sport, but like there were some matches early on. I want to say there was a match in I'm having vivid memories of a match in Los Angeles. I want to say I guess it was '09. Oh my god! Against Ula Radvanska, yes, I was there, which was like the worst thing I've ever seen. In it's professional it's literally the worst match I've seen. It's in my so life. bad. I really want to watch it now, but it was <laughs> awful. It was really, really bad. And maybe, maybe Maria's rock bottom experience in the summer of '09, which she pulled herself together relatively quickly. I think she wound up making the finals of uh, Canada that year, which would have been in Toronto in an odd year. Yeah, 
she she got it together and since then she's been better at it. I mean she's had like she's come back to Stuttgart and won it unexpectedly a couple times and you know other mini slump slump buster pova is is, is a high selling flavor I think. Yeah, Pope. no, I agree. I mean, it, and yeah, it kind of it it's an interesting thing to just kind of pick Maria's brain or or over the course of time because she never gives you like so much in one sitting, but like if you piece little things that she says together over time, um, it paints a pretty I think clear picture of kind of how she thinks about the world and how she thinks about herself and her career but she said uh earlier this week you know obviously scheduling issues have been pretty dominant in um in the conversation about the wta um and whether or not the schedule needs to be readjusted and and so she said you know she's the only player that that has outwardly come out and said i don't have a problem with it and when she explained what why she said you know i don't play a lot of tournaments i can't fly around the world you know and play seven straight weeks my body can't do that um but the way that i've been you know kind of raised um and taught throughout my career is you play a limited schedule and you back yourself to get deep at every single tournament you play and um and that i mean when she said that i was like wow that is actually a very that is such an outlier well this goes back to what we talked about i think in episode one of NCR, which is a concept of swagger scheduling. Oh, yeah, I mean, right. Like, Sharapova is the ultimate swagger scheduler in that sense. I mean, Serena does it pretty well, too. Um, and I guess not even, I was going to say some of the men, but most of the men pack in some smaller tournaments. Maybe Djokovic is doing it more now. He's not playing that many. Yeah, I'd like say no. But yeah, in general, a lot of the guys load up on events. Um, like Rafa, for example, this year played a lot of tournaments, uh, which showed that he didn't have necessarily supreme belief at the beginning of the year or whenever as he was making a schedule as he went along that he would be winning lots of matches uh, and he wound up being right about that but it wound up i think eventually being good for him to sort of get into form and now he looks pretty good more on his uh, match against Rosso later but yeah i think sharepova's always had that and she's also always been big on um not forcing herself to play and not you know doing the, the fairly common play your first round and pull out for the second round to avoid bonus pool penalty type stuff that other players do. So she's a, yeah, she's a scheduling role model, I guess you could say. Although most players don't have the <laughs> ingredients to make a Sharapova template work for them. So she yes. does what's right for her. Let's put it that Yeah, way. she does what's right for her and, and that's fine and that's good and it's different for everyone. And, you know, yeah, there are going to be like, you know, the Yelena Yankovic's who have to play every week because they don't like practicing and they feel much better when they're at tr- in tournament mode, you know, like it doesn't make one better than the other. It's just like two different formulas. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that just that idea and that um, idea of swagger scheduling just shows kind of the level of self-belief that Sharapova has. And, and it showed against Redvanska, I think at the end of the day, it really, it really did seem to come down to that of just belief and, whether or not you can pull off the win. And Radvanska looked really, really good, and, and she didn't play a bad match at all. But I think that, you know, and Maria probably knows this from her uh, rivalry or non-rivalry with Serena. Like, if you are 2-12 and 12 against a player over the course of your entire career and have lost the last, you know, whatever, four or five, in those tight moments, it's going to be really hard to believe that that you can do it this time, that this time's going to be any different. So yeah. at the end of the day, I, I just think that Maria kind of grit her teeth and uh and pull that match out speaking of swagger scheduling just heavy scheduling now that she's almost done with her season can we take a step back and because she we haven't done a show since the singapore field was confirmed i guess so and just admire or marvel 
or gawk, whatever you want to call it, at the schedule that Carolina Pliskova played this year. For sure. Because holy crap. I'm going to read this to you. It was insane. Brisbane, Sydney, Australian Open, Fed Cup in Quebec, Antwerp, Dubai, Doha, Indian Wells, Miami, Prague, Madrid, Rome, French Open, Birmingham, Eastbourne, Wimbledon, Stanford, Canadian Open, Cincinnati, New Haven, U.S. Open, Tokyo, Wuhan, Tianjin, Moscow. That is every tournament, pretty much. That is like, pretty much every tournament. Pretty much every tournament. She notably skipped, uh, I'm looking for what she skipped. I guess she skipped Charleston, but maybe that's the same. Like it's Prague or near Prague. She, she also yeah, pulled she, out of Doha. Okay. One of the two she pulled out of. Uh yeah, I'm sure you're right about that. She pulled. She out. did. She did because yeah. she had just a little bit of a break right before Indian Wells. Because I t- I, sp- I spoke to her at Indian Wells and we were joking about how it was like a quote unquote vacation. She actually for, to have a week off. She did play both actually. Dubai. Oh, did she play? She played both Dubai and Doha. Yeah. Maybe she lost early or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she did lose but, early to Carla. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her schedule was absolutely insane. And to her credit, though, I mean, again. I talked to her at Wuhan and mm-hmm. she said, yeah, next year my schedule has to be different. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I fully recognize that. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you talk about her, you just read off Pliskova's schedule. I mean, obviously Serena won her three majors and almost everything else. So she qualified for the finals very early, but Maria hasn't played since Wimbledon. She qualified in like September. Yeah. So, and she played 11 events, Maria Sharapova coming into Singapore this year. So for Pliskova, it is kind of like you need to kind of understand that you're an elite player now and that you need to schedule everything around the biggest tournaments, around the majors. And And you know who – sorry. Do you know who's another player who actually has the same idea for next year is Benchich. Oh, that's good. Um, Good to hear. Yeah. She she was saying, you know, uh, because I think I asked her about scheduling issues as well. Do you think the calendar's too impacted, uh, too long? I asked her this in Beijing. And she said, no, it's just that, like, you know, if you're losing first round everywhere, playing 22 events isn't a busy schedule because, like, you're playing 22 matches. Like, who cares? The problem is is that when you're winning. And so if you don't – if you're winning, then you need to readjust your schedule. And so she was saying that, like, next year I probably need to, like, readjust my schedule and not play it the way that I played it this year. So – you know, it's it's encouraging to hear that there is this kind of younger generation in Benchich and Pliskova who kind of understand that. <laughs> yeah, Pliskova, I think maybe got caught in a little bit of a of a of a Mobius strip of constant scheduling. Well, she scheduled way too early, even early on, because I think she could have adjusted faster than she did. But then at a certain point, once it got past the U.S. Open, she was in Singapore contention. And wanted to load on as many things as possible. She got the Moscow wild card, was going for it. And yeah, and so that, you can't blame her for like playing Moscow, for example, and Tianjin at that point, I guess, when she's vying for this elite uh, qualifying thing. But just reading it in, in its totality is pretty cray. Uh, speaking of Singapore qualifying, how, how, how are you feeling about the way everything wrapped up with the field you got there in Singapore? Because it could have been a bunch of different things. It could there have were, been. It could have a- been a lot of different stuff. Sure, sure. No, I, th- I think it's a. I mean, I think it's a good field. I think that it's a field that, at least for me, like looking at it person by person, you're like, yep, I understand why every single one of these people are here. You know, yeah. you know, you never want to get in a situation where you're like, ah, <laughs> I don't know. And there has been years um, like that, even like recent years. Been. I'll say, like, even yeah. in twenty, let's see, would it be like twenty twelve and twenty thirteen? I think both of those years. I want to say 
might be getting this wrong, so feel free to correct me. No, I think I'm right. That both Kerber and Irani made it to the Istanbul both those years, and they just yeah. both never felt like really even remotely contenders or even not even going to make things interesting even. And I think Kerber yeah. especially defied expectations of that so much at that great match against Azarenka, which is like a hidden gem match for all time, their round-robin match yeah. in Istanbul one year. Um, but yeah, I mean, those players felt like non-factors. And I guess once you take Serena out of the equation especially, um, everybody who's in Singapore now, with the, with the exception, I would say, of Safarova, who really hasn't done much lately and is coming off injury, and just I don't think you can expect nearly anything from her uh, this week. Uh, in singles but she played incredibly well yeah yes she really really did she played well against Muguruza far better than I expected her to and so she very easily could spoil that group I mean if she pulls off the win over over Kerber or something like that but she was surprisingly good I'm still that was still the most impressive thing from that match to me even though Muguruza was amazing and like one in straight sets I was like damn Lucy's played really, really good. Yeah. No, I guess that works. So that puts her, I guess, more in the category of what, like, a Kerber was in Istanbul. Where there she wasn't, was far, yeah, exactly. Was, Safarova was far better than yeah. Panetta, for example. Yeah, Panetta, that's, I saw all of that match, and that match was short. Uh, yes. Panetta losing 6-0, 6-3 to Halep in their first match. Very swaggery Simona Halep. It's interesting seeing Simona being top seed in a big tournament alpha like Simona. this. She's, like, such, a, such an alpha in that match. It was kind of amusing to me. It was. No, there was an incredible amount of focus, and I've watched her practice quite a bit this week, and she's here with Darren. And, um, yeah, a lot of just trying to, to hit the big ball, stay inside the court, finish things off, hit that inside-out forehand. I mean, the, 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 the idea to be aggressive is definitely on her mind. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that that's maybe a little bit of what mitigates my concern about the field um, compared to, like, what you were saying before about a few years ago with Kerber and Arani, is that even if, like – this isn't like the star-studded field that maybe people may have wanted. Um, the matchups, I think, are going to be pretty good. I mean, I, some of it is dependent on Panetta a little bit to, to kind of lift her level. But after seeing them all play over the course of the first two days, everybody played pretty well, uh, honestly. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, like, the matchups left and right. But um, the, the two wild cards after, the two, after day one are both Panetta and Kvitova. Actually. Yeah, I heard Kvitova had, I was seeing reports from her practice that it was dour, looked somehow stressed this morning. I don't know if you saw that. but No, 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 I hadn't seen that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. She she said she felt weird yesterday. She lost in straight sets to Kerber. Had a good fight in the second set. Uh, at least uh, got it to a tie break, I guess. But um, yeah, she, she just said she felt weird. She said she got a blood test that wasn't the best although in general her blood tests have been more positive um so she's optimistic but um she wasn't able to prepare as much as she would have wanted to for singapore um so it's it's always hard to figure out with petra right because she was basically like playing the u.s open with like minimal preparation and she made the quarterfinals so she started to play better in the second set yesterday against kerber but who knows petra i want to say in 20 one of the symbol years like they blend together for me clearly Uh, i think 2012 uh, first year I was there, pulled out after her first round robin match, again, which was against Radvanska, inciting some sort of illness. And if she did that again, with all due respect to Petra, I think everybody would be kind of excited to see Venus. Well, yes. That's the. That uh, this is, is like the. This is the highest profile alternate I can remember. Yeah. In, tor- in terms of like buzzy alternate, having Venus yeah. on the ground there. When you sent out the picture, I was like, "Ooh, it's Venus!" It was like I know. I never have that alternate reaction before. Um, it was so funny about that picture too because I was there watching the Rising Stars. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, and I was just kind of zoned out watching the rising stars. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, Venus! Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they were practicing next to the, the rising stars court. Yeah. And like I ran over and was snapping all these pictures. And security was like, I mean, it's Singapore security, so they're very nice. They're like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. And I was like, yeah, 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 hold on. It was like kind of one of those, like, I need to get proof of life because no one will believe me if I just say that she's here. I need to actually get a picture. Yeah. Picture didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the world. Uh, no, I, th- I would love to see Venus, uh, Venus play here. I think that would be great. I think that it shows so much. I mean, what I, what I heard, and this is unconfirmed, but what I heard is that after Hong Kong, she stayed in Asia. Oh. She didn't go back to the States. So I find that to be pretty interesting in terms of maybe uh, – and today, which is uh, Tuesday, is when the, the, the Zhuhai, complete Zhuhai field will be announced. Okay. So I hope she's playing it. I genuinely don't know what the exact field is. Um, so I hope she's playing that. I hope she's here, um, and I hope she gets a chance to, to play here in uh, in Singapore. But, I think I heard something I want to say from like the WTA Insider, maybe offline, that said – that Venus can be like top five if she wins you high. <laughs> is that correct? Uh, that is a thing that I heard. I haven't run the numbers, but that is a thing that I heard that yeah. that Venus could move. There's a potential for at least as of I, as of when I heard the stat, which is before Singapore was confirmed, that if she were to go and win you high, that she could move up to number five. It just shows how close everybody is. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it depends on Singapore results and stuff. Also. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think it was kind of more one of those theoretical. Like, I mean, even. Our good friend Reem Abulil, uh, who's here for Sport 360 in Singapore, um, she and I were laughing. We were like, "Oh my gosh, what if Venus gets in as an alternate and wins the year in championships, and then goes to Zhuhai and wins Zhuhai?" That would be pretty great. I do not think that will <laughs> yeah, happen, amazing. but it'd be no, I don't great. think it'll happen. But it's amazing. I wonder if there's yeah, that would be. I'm all for that. Um, yeah. yeah, it would just be cool to see her get in. So if Petra's not feeling. No reason for Pet- Petra's too good a player, and it's it's yeah, too, she... one too much to go through the motions and pull. Remember when like Tipsarovic had that awful year in oh. championships a couple of years ago? I want to say it was the second time he was in the tournament. Was he in it twice? Yeah, yeah, and he was hurt clearly and wasn't competitive in any match and just wanted to stay out there. And it was like, especially with the way London tickets worked, where you only got one singles match per ticket, it was just like, what are you doing? Like this is this is not brave or anything. It's just a waste of everybody's time. So if Petra is feeling that, and it's obviously her right to stay out there and play as much as she wants to, but if she's if she's gonna be if she knows she's gonna be bad, she has no reason to to try to tough it out. I think just go home. She's got well, Fed Cup coming up too. I disagree with that. I mean, if she knows that she's gonna be bad, she still has a responsibility to play. If she isn't feeling well and she's like pushing her body through something that she shouldn't be playing through, then I think she should pull out. But she was asked explicitly um, after yesterday's match whether or not she was planning to pull out. And she said, and she kind of looked at the person very puzzled and was like, she's like, no. And then smiled that sleepy Petra smile that uh, you, you, I know for sure, know very, very well. I do, of course. And you probably yeah. see it more now that she is mono. I know. <laughs> do you remember that Wimbledon press conference where she literally almost fell asleep on the dais? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And like Wimbledon's not even a tournament with night sessions or anything. It was, it was, it was you know, perfectly it was after, reasonable time I feel of day. Like, yeah, well, I feel like it was after she lost to Flipkins or lost somewhere and uh, at some point at Wimbledon. And she was just like leaning like kind of completely on top of the dais. And then finally was just like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, okay, Petra, I'm sorry. We'll stop. She is quite the sleepy, sleepy sort of Clifford, a, the dog at she's some a, point. Yeah, she's sleepy pooch. Yeah, there you go. Any any other Singapore thoughts on uh, anything else? Any Anything you've observed or... 
anything takeaways from the event oh. uh, in terms of how it's different than last year. Uh, yeah. one, one question, I'll, I'll ask you one general question um, sure. before going to your sort of on-the-ground insights. Uh, Chris Clare wrote one of the huge, it's like a preview package of a few stories before big tournaments, and one of them for Singapore was saying that it was, this was a preview of the post-Serena world in some yeah. ways this week. Do yeah, you, I saw have that. You, have you bought into that? Does it feel like that? Because that is something the tour obviously has been contemplating for a while, and this would seem to be a pretty yeah. good uh, a chance to get that. Obviously, it's not going to be verbatim because Panetta's going away and, and everything, but this would seem to be like, who? okay, so when Serena's out, who's the best? Or is that what all of Asia has been, I guess? That's a, a little bit of what all of Asia has been, but at the same time, I, I guess I don't necessarily buy into it because I don't think Serena's going away anytime soon. Okay. So I think it's a little premature to think that like the post-Serena Williams world includes... Lucy Safarova. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I think we're being a little rash. I mean, I think that we know what, the, I mean, I think that we know what the post-Serena world is going to look like. It's going to include those players like the Benchiches, the Keys, um, you know, Maria, Simona, uh, Kerber, Redvanska. I mean, you know, the players that we just know in our heads, regardless of ranking, are probably the top, you know, 10, 15 players in the world. Well, I guess um, okay, I guess what I'm saying maybe more it looks like that in the chance in the sense of like Muguruza is the high seed in her round robin group, right? Like she is now like there is a void and she has filled it this fall. Yeah, and so that sort of seems glimpse of the future e to me. I guess her her in particular this week is who I've gotten that sense from. It's like oh yeah, you're like wow, you're like a number two seed at the year end championships. That's like a real thing. Yeah, you but don't I don't get into that. Okay, yeah, no, I totally agree with that, but I don't see how what that has to do with Serena. Okay, that's fair. Like, that that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, we have a tournament going on. It's a great tournament. These are the best women in the world, sans Serena. The the swagger around Muguruza is real. Um, the hype around her is real. It's hard not to watch her and genuinely believe that she's the real deal. Did any Spanish um, press make it down there? Because I know a couple of them oh, are yeah. contemplating. Oh, good. good. There's uh, one, two, I think three Spanish press. The biggest press contingent is actually the Czechs. Um, they outnumber all of us. There's probably about five or six of them. That's the here. first. Yeah, which makes sense because the Czechs outnumber everybody in the field with That's true. four players. Um, with yeah, Kvitova. once you count Lovachkova Rodechka. Yeah, exactly. Kvitova, Safarova, Lovachkova, Rodechka. Um, plus, they have the Fed Cup final, so there's a lot going on for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the the swagger and the belief around Miguruza, I think, is 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 pretty legit. But yeah, I just I just I think it's a. I'm looking forward to this week. I'm excited for it. I. From a complete tennis nerd, tennis fan perspective, I don't have the chicken little panic about a post-Serena world. Um, maybe because I've de- I've kind of like accepted it at some point. Like that in my head, I'm like, well, it isn't going to be the way that it is all the time. And we do have to get ready. So I've been focusing more on the, the youth and, and the next generation anyway. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if like no. I get I get what your 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 basic argument know. is that Serena is still going to be around long enough more, which I think everybody agrees with, to the point where the rest of the of the field can shift and then however much longer right. she's out there. Like yeah, for example, like okay, That's totally right. This piece gets written and it's it's here we're going to get a cl- glimpse of the post Serena Williams world. Next year, what if she doesn't play the finals again? Do you write the exact same piece? You do, right? Like, theoretically. Hey, and if anything, well, it's more relevant in a year. Especially if she runs the table or comes close to it again next year. And right. Again, no shows the final. Yeah. Right, right. So, it, yeah. So, I don't think that there's anything about this field, I guess is what I'm saying, 
that would make you trigger the like, this is what the what the post arena world looks like. Because I think that the post arena world doesn't necessarily look like this field. It will look like the field probably of next year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That works. That's my thought. I'm fine with I those guess. thoughts. Yeah, okay. Go. Thanks, man. Is is the doubles feel like a different thing? Because the doubles obviously expanded to eight teams last year, mm-hmm. uh, which is still single elimination after being four teams of single elimination before, which always seemed way too small. Like, I, yeah. I completely think that was the wrong thing to do. I would have been fine if, well, I guess I would have been fine if they had first upgraded or gone the other way and gone, kept it at four teams, made it like a four team round robin, like the Rising Stars event or something. Right. But yeah, the, that was way too rushed before. It was only three matches for those teams who play all year. Uh, and then now it seems to be going to maximum equal to singles. Um, do the doubles players seem happy with this? Do you think this is a, it's a big win for doubles. Right? Everybody talks about doubles yeah. getting being a, a endangered species. Uh, this is a huge win for women's doubles, which I think is arguably like the most uh, underserved of the four main disciplines on tour. Well, it definitely is actually. That's not even debatable, I don't think. Yeah, no, it's a it's a massive win. I know that the players are incredibly happy about it. You know, to just be given the equal platform, and I think that even more so this year because of the rise of Martina Hingis and Sonia Mirza, yeah. you now have kind of a marquee doubles team. And they did all access, in- right? Yeah, they did all access. I mean, they are a Which team. Which is unheard of for a doubles team to do that. Yeah, if you can confirm this team for your tournament, you actually will use a doubles team in your marketing materials. Like, you would put Martina Hingis up on a on a billboard. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's and not Sonya necessarily... especially in Asia. Sonia especially, yeah. Asia, yeah. So it, it's, it, I think that that's been massive for women's doubles. I think that... So you have this one dominant team that's not just dominant, because we've had dominant teams in the Italians and, and Raymond and, and Huber. You know, we've had dominant teams in the past. But you have a dominant team that are a couple of marquee names who are winning at the clip with which at which they're winning. And then you just have a kind of a group of players, all of whom are compelling teams who are compelling in their own right, trying to knock them down. It's actually the dynamics of the women's doubles game right now is like perfect. Talk about this, this emerging seems to be like a big hipster fan favorite entity, uh, especially that emerged during the Asia swing, it feels like. Chances. Uh, chances. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what make we've obviously been aware of chances for a while. I remember very so vividly <laughs> a match against Rodianova <laughs> and I assume Kudryatsova in oh, uh, sing- <laughs> like the best thing ever in the Charleston uh, semifinals. <laughs> I want to say when they were yeah last year each other and there may or may not have been a concussion or something. Anyway, probably shouldn't laugh at that part, but it was an entirely amusing match. Chances seem are like the sort of. I don't know, edgier Bryans in their own way. <laughs> Definitely edgy. Yeah, maybe they're they're edgy. I mean, gosh, what? How do we? How do we explain the rise of the chances? I mean, Letitia's been around for a long time. Yeah, Letitia's been around forever. Angel is very much, I think, in my head. I, I consider her a double specialist. She is. She's never been a single. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I I think that there's a couple things that contribute to the chances rise and why they are kind of this cult favorite. A they don't care. They're going to bring it. They don't care who you are. Like they will bring their attitude and their game regardless. And, um, they're the last team to have beaten Mirza and Hingis that happened all the way back in Cincinnati. That's a long um, time. in the semifinals there. It's a long time ago. Um, and they've played Hingis and Mirza really, really well over the course of the last uh, couple of months. I want to say, did they play them in the U S open final? No, they did not. No. 
but they got pretty deep and they, they took them to match tie breaks every time. And um, they played them in the final Beijing, took them to a match tie break. I think they lost 10, eight mm-hmm. um, in that match tie break, the chance. Um, so yeah, they, they, they have no problem. Like, ripping a forehand at Martina Hingis. That's pretty cool. It, all, I think that's pretty neat. That's kind of always been Letitia's MO. I know Letitia I was aware of. I remember seeing Letitia the first time I went to Indian Wells in 2008, and she was there. She was a qualifier, I assume. And she was playing a seated player, Sybil Bammer. It shows how long ago this was. And Sybil Bammer's like, daughter was sitting in the front row. I remember this very clearly. And Letitia just like wiped the floor with her. It was like 2-0 and o yeah, or something ridiculous. I remember this. And it was, and Letitia was just so, just has this, has this real sort of like, just don't fuck with me vibe. You just yeah. like, it's, it's more overt than most players on tour. And uh, something about it, it's, it's weirdly aggressive, but also like friendly. And I, 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 I don't know Put what it, it is, way. but I'm like super into it. <laughs> Letitia Chan. Letitia is not her given name. No, of course not. She has obviously a Chinese name. Most Chinese, well, not just Chinese, most Asian Folk, we pick a English name at some point. Yeah. News, breaking news, Courtney is not my given name. It is a name, however, let I now go by and there you go. Yeah. But like, so for her, she chose Letitia. That was not her like given name. Like she went through and thought about it and she's like, I'm going to go with Letitia. I think that gives you a little bit. And you know, all this, I think we. I don't can. know if we've told the stories. It's just like take a number on Letitia randomly. But do you, uh, you remember? You know the stories, obviously. I don't know if we told them on here course. before, but they're great stories. Uh, if you haven't heard them, in a nutshell, um, I think she was looking for a name, was asking some American, and the person told her that Letitia meant, which is obviously not this could be a lie coming up. Told her <laughs> <laughs> Letitia meant, uh, I think, black girl who likes sports. Yeah. I want to say was the definite was the origin of Letitia that was presented to to young Yan Chan and she was like yeah I'm into that and yep. uh, and so she picked that name and and apparently at some point Serena when Serena <laughs> caught wind of the fact that this this Taiwanese girl was going by Letitia uh, Serena took her aside and was like you know it's a black name right and she was like <laughs> yep and Serena was like okay <laughs> and like end of conversation <laughs> and that's it and that's pretty tremendous uh so yeah so her sister going by angel especially angel being like how feisty the team is known for being and like not being afraid to trade blows like yeah. Letitia and angel is the ultimate like i don't i don't want to say like i don't know uh just like tough like people yeah. you don't want to mess with because it's like this weird contrast anyway i think it's all great it's lovely. And Angel was the one that was like going straight at Martina Hingis and Sonia Mirza all through the Beijing final. And I genuinely feared for her life because they started trying to peg her and she totally stood her own. Like she knew it. Like she knew that they were going to come for her. And she's like, I got you. And she would like get the volleys that were aimed at her face, like right back <laughs> for winners. It was amazing. <laughs> Is that the match that Martina was getting really animated during? Yeah, she okay. got really pissed because they, the uh, Hingis and Meritza thought they were robbed on a call in the first set, and then they lost the first set tiebreaker, mm-hmm. um, and they were pissed, and then they came back to win. But um, yeah, it was amusing. Fun times. Yeah. Weird segue. This is one of our rare doubles to doubles segues to get across to the men. One doubles development, which has been confirmed this week, is that the Bryans are no longer going to be number one. After next what? week. Did you not hear this? This was obviously no. quiet. But Marcelo Mello will be taking over the number one ranking by himself. Uh, wow. From the Bryans, ending a pretty long streak. Uh, the Bryans didn't win a slam this year. 
Uh, obviously, they show how under the radar they are. Um, that this kind of sneaks up on us. But they were slanderous number one, quote unquote, um, for a few weeks since the U.S. Open, and now are losing it. Um, and they seem to generally talk about like post Serena world. It seems like a post Bryant's world is probably closer than that. I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so. I, I I would think I think they've said it too, and they're they're older than people realize because um, yep. they're so, you know, full of energy and stuff. But they're both in their late 30s at this point. <laughs> they're the same age, believe it or not, being twins. And they're I think Rio will almost certainly be Rio, or and then the U.S. Open following will probably be the end for them, if not maybe London afterwards. But anyway, um, thoughts on if if this is sort of a moment to to look at the Bryan's sunset which is probably writing them off more than because they can still win a slam or two obviously next year um thought meditations on brianness and post brian world well i mean it's it's i will lament the fact that the brians are not part of the men's doubles in the same way that i will lament the fact that that hingis mirza break up or something like that yeah you know, i was like, gonna say when you're talking about hingis mirza like they seem like the biggest doubles team i think this is almost indisputable the biggest yep. doubles team since the Bryans or next to the Bryans, maybe even bigger at some points in terms of, and in the, and in the women's game yeah. probably is bigger. The, the cl- as closest they get would be like Hingis Kornikova. Yeah, that's probably and, right. And even then maybe they weren't winning b- that bigger. As much. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, we're talking like maybe back in the day when like, or Venus and Serena Tilova. Oh yeah, exactly. But they were, yeah. they were such, they weren't never played a totally full schedule. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, so it's it's kind of like that. That's how I feel about the Bryans. Like, the, I think the men's game will take a bit of a hit, obviously, especially in the States, um, because the Bryans are such a good sell at tournaments, um, American tournaments in particular. So you lose them as, as kind of ambassadors once they decide to hang up their rackets. But, I mean, what they've done throughout their career and, and what they did to help grow the game of doubles in the States and kind of keep men's tennis on the radar for some, Yeah. I think. Men's doubles, yeah. Um, yeah. Men's doubles, yeah, it's been it's been pretty neat. It's definitely talk about post world. I mean, like this is definitely um, the thing that can happen because all eight men who won doubles titles this year at Slams, men's doubles titles, were first time winners. None of them had won before. Wow, which is pretty crazy. And a lot of them were like kind of people we think of more as singles guys. So the winners were, well, Bellelli Fanini. We both think of as more singles guys. They won Australia. Uh, the French was won by Dotting Mello, who are. Um, Doubles guys for sure. Melo is the one who's getting to number one. Now, uh, Wimbledon was won by Royer Takao. And the U.S. Open was won by Airbear Mahout. So those are all new faces. And again, like faces, with the exception of Melo, Dottigolo Dottig's getting older too. And I, everyone's old in doubles, like I shouldn't say, pretty much for the most part. Um, but it's totally going to be a, a chaos time without the Bryans. And already has been, I guess, this year, arguably. Yep. So London men's doubles will be parody fun in that way too uh segueing briefly just to slight updates on american men's tennis or men's tennis we had two american men in finals this week they both lost but steve johnson made the final of vienna which is a 500 for the first time so it's a big final for him his first career final lost to ferrer and jack sock lost in the stockholm final to burditch it was a 250 but he had probably a tougher draw he beat simone and gasquet and somebody else good think so anyway that's your american men's tennis update uh yeah not sure but there's a big american cluster in the basel draw um isner plays golbus first round and then the winner of that plays the winner of kudla sock and uh donald young is in that quarter of the draw too along with kevin anderson somewhat honorary american uh the basel draw was more notable though i think for the first round match between 
Lucas Rosal and Rafael Nadal. Courtney, I got the sense this wasn't a match you were watching initially, but tuned into. I did. And it was fun. Like, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's I was confused fun. by it. I was confused by the scoreline. And then I think once things got a little heated in that third set um, and things got tight. So I tuned in around four all in the third. And yeah, it, I, I mean, obviously I'd missed all of the craziness before that. Clearly yeah. Rafa had not been playing well before and all that sort of stuff. But when those two play, there's just, you know, there's just that edge that makes things really, really fun. So much edge. And just to give a brief recap of the match, because I see most people didn't see it uh, being a first round Basel match. Uh, Rosal got up to a really fast start and Nadal was not playing well. Rosal was up 6-1, 3-1, and then later 6-1, 5-3. And this match just felt over. Like, really. It looked like it was going to be a complete rout. In the same way that I think Nadal lost early in Basel last year to Chorich, which is a complete out-of-nowhere loss. Mm. It just felt like he wasn't really there. He's played well this fall, but he was just didn't have it. And but then something just, like, clicked in him. Uh, that was just like this, like, I will not go down to this guy. And there was this sort of focus. And this what I was going to bring up next, this is why this match is so fun, is that this is one of those rivalries, I would put on the same level almost as like a Golbus Batista Agut, which is a compliment. Same, <laughs> it's like this, this random pair of people who wouldn't have anything in common on paper, but they're, and, and in the rankings, they're not even that near each other. But because of that match they played at Wimbledon, and because of everything that happened in that match, and in a sense, and what it meant to Rafa... And the edge, it's it's uh it's just a lot of a lot of fire to this one, in a way. And it's that something that the yeah, doesn't we have need. very much of. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is just that like, I know people don't. I mean, I know a lot of people don't feel this way. Like they want their tennis to be super classy and um, I don't know, like elegant, genteel. Um, genteel, exactly is yeah. is the right word. And I'm just not like that. I mean, no. it's a, probably a little bit of why I am a big WTA fan um, as opposed to like um, ATP sometimes, because even if the tennis is compelling on the ATP, like I need that kind of like that, that little bit, that little bit of edge, or uh, at least even if it's not even true, a perception of edge, even I'll yeah. take that, um, you know? And so like, for example, like with uh, Sharapova, Redvanska, I mean, throughout their history, despite the fact that Maria is 12 and two, or now 13 and two against Redvanska, like their matches have always been, you know, how much it means to both of them yeah. to win that match. And especially Aga and how, and how Maria just doesn't want to let Aga have anything. And Nothing. you saw that with the, um, the most famously, obviously that isn't she back in Poland already moments right. where, you know, Aga felt, you know, was had lost and was just, wanted to take it out of Maria. Maria obviously has been a big stopper in her career and has some resentment there and just took a shot and Sharapova quickly put her back in her place and all these things. And yeah, you want, you want the athletes to seem like they care. You don't want them to, you don't want them to be all uh, Kipling about th this stuff and say like, Oh, we well, just win or lose. It's a great sport. And it's just good to go out there. No sports are supposed, sports are dopey by concept. The people hitting a ball <laughs> back and forth across the net it's inherently stupid. Like getting like existential about like our chosen callings in life. Like we follow people around the world to watch them hit a ball, and eventually one of them will miss or hit the ball so well the other one won't hit the ball. Like what is this? So you want them to at least care. We care because there's emotions and and drama in it, and yep. and the authenticity of those emotions is important. And in moments like Nadal Rosol, you feel like you're seeing authentic emotions. Like so, yeah. this move ahead in this match. Uh, Rosal was up six one five three. Um, it all started playing a little bit better, and Rosal hit this shank volley and just started choking from there. 
He lost four straight games to lose the second set, uh, 7-5. Then he lost the next three opening games of the third set to have lost uh, seven straight games total. Uh, and it looked over. Nadal was up 4-1 in the third. And then Rosal suddenly came back. Sorry, let me go back. When Nadal was up 3-0 in the third, Rosal was about to serve and started complaining to Ali Neely, like went up to the chair and started ranting about how Nadal was taking too long to get to the, the baseline to start the game after Neely called time because Rosal walked there really fast. And Nadal like, took the full 30 seconds you're allowed. And Ali Neely, the chair umpire, was like, what? what are you, the game hasn't even started yet. What are you complaining about time? Like, we, it's still a no. Go, go away. <laughs> and we were just baffled by this. And, and Russell was just trying to, like, clearly this was a scoreboard-influenced complaint. You wouldn't make this complaint if you hadn't just lost seven straight games. And it was authentic. And, and Russell, to his credit, I think, is sort of like the ultimate heel, I think, or like a dream heel in some ways in the ATP. Obviously, everyone knows Andy Murray saying everyone hates him on tour to his face, which is rude. <laughs> but, but clearly Andy felt that way, and clearly other players feel that way too. There's some, you know, you can put together a montage that's not quite Daniel Keller level of, of conflict, but, you know, he, he has these moments that pile up. Um, but he does it in this way that's just like, purely like it's first and foremost described as annoying people like there's nothing with the other heels we have quote-unquote heels or villains people like to make so like a fanini fanini yeah but like fanini also like may have say like racist things at some point or, or curios might have this sort of drama too but also is offensive and possibly problematic and curses whatever Rosso just seems to be annoying people yeah keeping it g-rated but just being annoying and it's sort of it's it's a very palatable sort of annoyance for me that way, and it, and it brings an edge to things. And going forward, Rosol leveled the match at four all, and then Nadal started complaining about Rosol tapping his racket once um, before the point start, which he had been doing every single point. Uh, I think it just one time he did it like a little bit later, and it caught uh, Nadal as he was starting to get his motion going, and Nadal started complaining, um, and. Ali Neal again was like, "What? What's going on here? Like, this is this, this has been going on the whole time." And again, it was the thing where it was a scoreboard influenced agitation, understandably, and that all shows these guys were not enjoying losing. And it was nice because, like, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that remarkable that people were showing emotions based on how the match was going, and we're getting more and more riled up on that. But in tennis, in in this Federer era, that's been hard to come by at points, and this, so this felt entirely authentic. Uh, in the end, uh, Russell was up 4-2 in the tiebreak and then lost five straight points in the third set yeah. tiebreak to lose it. Uh, handshake was not as not as bitchy as it could have been, but not bad. It was limp fish. It was, it was, quick. It was quick. It was very quick. It was perfunctory. It was very perfunctory, yeah. But it could have been worse. Um, it could have been. And, uh, yeah, it was just fun. And it made me wish that there was, again, more bad blood, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I don't think that I don't think that this is like breaking news coming from either of us. No, I think we no, it's, we, it's been a we, common we, theme right, throughout. This was just a really good case study of it today. Mm-hmm. I think is what yeah. it was. No, because I think on some level, like especially putting it into the context of of your thing about you know we travel the world and we watch these people watch a uh, hit a, a yellow little yellow fuzzy ball, like it's like yeah we do, and then like when we then go and talk talk to them afterwards and they're like well whatever, it's okay. 
I'm like, well, then why am I here? Like, you clearly don't <laughs> care. Why would, why should I care? Do I care more than you care? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you just kind of get a little, you know, it, sometimes it, you become numb to it, I guess. So in those little moments where it cuts through and you see that edge, it's, like, really right. fun. Well, like, that's, you're that's like, why, oh, this is exactly what I love. That's that's why, like, the Serena Post Vinci press conference doesn't bother me in, right. in totality. Because, no, yeah, totally. you should feel this way. All this hype and everything, all this attention, all this stuff was because this all meant something. And when it all disappeared in shocking fashion, it should hurt. You know, you shouldn't be yeah. happy. You should be pissed. You should be devastated. And she was. And it was authentic and great in that way, I think. Um, or, you know, you wouldn't want her to go in there and just put on a brave face and smile. And you also, like you said, I, I agree. When people are, like, fine with it, I think this is maybe uh, a complaint that people have had about players like uh, Sam Querrey and Sloane Stevens, the two that come to mind. They both have the same sort of way of seeming to brush off losses or disappointments in this way that can be frustrating as a media person. And maybe that's just how they act. Maybe that's not how they're actually, maybe they do have a fire burning that we don't see. And people tell people closer to them say that, um, yeah, you want, you want there to be visible emotions because this is, this is entertainment and it is yeah. I mean, to be I... compelling for these reasons. Because I think a good a good recent example of that was in Wuhan, after Simona Halep blew that lead against Joe Conta and yeah. lost um, in three sets, and so she came into press fairly quickly and she was kind of doing the whole professional press conference, you know, like, yeah, I really don't know how I lost, uh, but she was fine. I mean, she was just like, yeah, you know, I mean, there are some positives to take from it, but, you know, et cetera, et cetera. People asking her about her schedule, things like that. Yeah. And then towards the end of the press conference, I kind of like raised my hand and I was like, like how are you disappointed at all like are you just like how disappointed are you i mean you were up you know five one five two yeah and then finally she she just kind of looked at me she's like i'm really mad like she, <laughs> she's like i'm really not happy right now i'm really frustrated i don't know how that happened and so in that moment it was like okay i was just checking i was you know like because i know that you're doing you look whole... for a pulse at some point with these people yeah know. exactly just i just wanted to double check because that was a really bad collapse <laughs> and you looked really you know i didn't say this obviously but like you know but in my head that was all that i needed to know like i just was like you know i'm pretty sure that you know the number two player in the world should not be okay blowing a 5-1 lead yeah. in the third set yeah. to joanna conta no, so I'm just sure. checking, making checking to make sure that you are indeed human. No, it's like for so, every, it's, yeah. like, it's like for every sport. I mean, I know I had when I was watching like back when I was in high school, we were watching like March Madness, and I had some I knew people who would like sometimes like make fun of the college kids and they lose and start crying on the court. But you want that. You want people to like be out there and you know feel things. It's the whole point of this whole thing. Yeah, to feel things. NCR I just included. Want to feel. <laughs> we hope that NCR makes you not cry or not get that angry. <laughs> we hope, but hopefully, it provides some sort of emotional. I don't know. Reaction. Not completely. Yeah, you know, some bodily function of some positive or negative Ew. sort. Ew. Not bodily function. That's the wrong word. Yeah. Moving on from that. So, as we before we get to our rant, race, Courtney, Singapore. How is it? How's so it far, so going? good. Yeah, no, it's not as hot as it was last year. That's good. Um, unfortunately, and what this bums me out, because you were here last year when the weather was incredibly hot, but it oh, was really nice. Like, it was clear. Like, the sun was always shining, mm -hmm. um, you know, unless it was raining. But it, but it was really nice. But this year, because of all the fires in Indonesia, like, all of this, um, like, smoke has, like, basically been blown over Singapore. Mm. So it has kind of, like, a similar haze as, like, you might see in, like, a Beijing or something. 
So that's been really frustrating. And Just, I heard that was know, rough for the for some of the kids who are in the Future Stars event playing outdoors. Yeah, I mean they suspended it. They okay. they suspended the outdoor uh, events um, when it when it got you know pretty bad. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of been a bit, little bit, you know, just because like you step outside and you're just like, ugh, like you know, it just feels like you're, you know, three miles away from wildfire. Um, so that's been unfortunate, and they couldn't plan for that, obviously. Um, yeah. And it's not pollution; it's literally wildfires Smoke. that are burning out of yeah. control um, in Indonesia. But yeah, but other than that, it's been it's been good. The players have been, you know, kind of in a grin and ba- not a grin and bear. That's actually not true. Actually, I take that back. The players have actually been really good because quite a few of them, even though I guess Lucy and Flavia were the last two that actually played Moscow, mm-hmm. the, everybody else didn't. Right. So they're all like actually somewhat well rested insofar as they had like a, about a week, some two weeks, some longer to kind of uh, rest up. So so that was pretty good. Oh, the singles players. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking like Carlo yeah, was, in the, was in Moscow. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, in the singles. So, so, so far over the first two days, I've been pretty impressed by the level of play. So that's been good. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what happens. I mean, because this result can, for a lot of these players, redeem what was an otherwise maybe good but not great season. It's hard to yeah. have a great season when somebody else is having what was possibly the greatest season of all time. Right. Um, and almost so, nobody except yeah. for Serena had a wire-to-wire great season. Like nobody. No, no one. Nobody. Zero. Not a single person. No, which is, which is what made this year so crazy. Like maybe yeah. you can put somebody who had like really low expectations. Like if you wanted to say like Bachinsky had a great season, yeah, okay, I might buy into that maybe. Um, or Bench, well, not Benchich. Benchich. but Benchich, Benchich started, started that. slow. Yeah, yeah, she had like what five straight losses to start the year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, really, there was almost nobody. And Sharapova hasn't been losing, but she was hurt, and so that obviously counts against right. her. And yeah, it's been Sharapova's slugging percentage has been very good. Yeah, exactly. Like when she's when she's there. She pretty she she does pretty well to perform. There's but... been a lot of bad hit by pitches, really. Yeah. 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 She got beaned. I'm imagining, like in Wuhan, <laughs> strips of a bean like, being on the mound, <laughs> just like beaning Sharapova. Sharapova, in my obviously imagination, that's like charging the mound or something at all. Oh, totally. It would, be, it would be tremendous. Or either charging the mound, or actually, you know what I could see with Maria, like the slow and deliberate. Like standing there, taking off your batting glove and like Staring. slow stroll, yeah. stare and stroll to first base. Yeah, staring the entire way. And maybe a few pointed, you know, screams yeah. like yells over some invectives here and there. But tremendous. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. Uh, hopefully, you didn't throw anything at each other while listening. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. You can follow us. And like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. If you want to send us questions for an upcoming show, and we'll be doing more question shows as we go along, you can send us those via email, nochallengesremaining at gmail.com, and any other questions, complaints, queries, anything you want to send that way, happy to, happy to get those. And if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on iTunes and any other podcasting app by... Uh, plugging it in with your rss link whatever and that reminds me that i should give a plug here for courtney's new show which is pretty tremendous and Uh, it's not yet on itunes but hopefully will be soon courtney tell all about the wta insider podcast and where they can Uh find it and i guess the idea behind it 
Sure. I mean, yeah, I launched the WTA Insider podcast this past weekend here in Singapore. Already have three episodes up, um, which has been uh, occupying most of my time in terms of editing and trying to grab the sound clips and stuff like that. You're doing so much Um, talking to microphones lately. Like podcast, I can only imagine how exhausting like podcast bigamy must be. (laughs) <laughs> it's not it's not it's not fun no um it's uh yeah it's one of those things where i've had to you know kind of tell people because you were like well but where's your writing on this this and that and i'm like i can't if i'm live blogging all day and then i'm also podcasting like i have zero time to write so it's kind of a, been a, a forced very weird balance but yeah the podcast is launched um my goal for the podcast was to try and do something that's just different from the other tennis podcasts that are out there including ncr yeah um, all of which are, are very conversational and very opinion heavy, um, personality heavy, all that sort of stuff, which I think is fantastic and great. And I encourage everyone, if you have opinions, start a podcast. It's it's an easy way to get, just get them out and stay sane. It's cathartic. Um, it is cathartic. But at least for the WTA Insider podcast, what I've tried to do is basically get out of the way. Um, and as Ben was saying, I do many podcasts and I do a lot of radio. People hear my voice a lot. They don't need to be hearing it any more than that. And um, if you listen to NCR, you hear my opinions. I don't want to be redundant and issue those opinions again on the uh, Insider podcast. So instead, it's very kind of news heavy. It's very um, audio heavy in terms of getting closer to the players, which is something that I've always really believed in, that when you guys as tennis fans hear these players speak, your connection to them will be very different than if you just see them on a screen. Yeah. Or read them in paper, uh, so, black and white. For example, and maybe we can even put a clip of your show in here. I feel like we're on a talk show. Like, so, so what clip are we gonna hear now, Courtney? Naomi Osaka, for example. Sure. Absolutely. Cool. The primary and- driver for this episode is 18-year-old Naomi Osaka of Japan. Now, on Sunday, Osaka saved four championship points to rally and beat world number 35 Caroline Garcia in three sets to win the WTA Rising Stars Invitational. And it was a gutsy, fantastic performance by Osaka, who's currently ranked number 202 in the world. But her performance in the press room, it may have been even better. This is an American term, a recent American term, but I didn't want to be meek-milled. <laughs> like, taking those back-to-back losses like that, you know? Explain to the kids out there who might not know. I feel like most people, I'm sure in Singapore, had no idea what the verb to meek-mill or to be meek milled is, but she yeah. used it and it was remarkable. And I just, I never knew that was possible when I saw that quote. And I think I wasn't as excited as Timani, Carrie, all our friend, who just <laughs> seemed, to, seemed to just have like be the best thing he ever heard. Uh, but explain Naomi Saka, who we've had on the show before in audio, actually, yep. when she had her Singapore, uh, sorry, when her, she had her Stanford breakout a couple years ago. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of taste of thing you'll get on WT Insider podcast, I hope. Yeah, no, that is the goal. Yeah, Naomi Osaka, who dropped a Meek Mill reference in her press conference after winning the WTA Rising Stars Invitational. And um, if you listen to the audio, I'm actually the only person you hear laughing. Like, you'll hear this big, like, guffaw, and it came from me, and I was so embarrassed because no one else laughed, and it was, like, incredibly loud. But she needed you to laugh, though, because she was making a joke. She was making a joke. Um, And, yes, to Meek Mill, because she had lost to Caroline Garcia in group play, she played Caroline. Oh, sorry, Caroline. I was told this by Caroline Garcia. It's not Caroline, and she gets really mad if you say Caroline. So it's Caroline Garcia. Um, but she lost to Caroline Garcia in three sets in the group play. Played Garcia in the final and won, saving four uh, championship points to do it uh, in three sets to win the competition. 
So that is context for her Meek Mill com- uh, comment. And for those people who don't know, Meek Mill uh, had a bit of beef with Drake, and uh, it failed miserably. Yeah, because he kept the, coming. He kept coming at yeah. He kept coming at Drake, and Drake just kept shutting him down. And it was embarrassing. It was one of those come at the king, best not miss situations. And Meek yeah. Mill kept missing. And Drake Drake put out a couple songs about it, and he let off the uh, festival he does in Toronto with, with that. Yeah. The back-to-back was the main one, which I guess was more directly another Osaka illusion. Anyway, all of it was great. Uh, but yeah, you guys should go listen because, like, this podcast, I was saying to Courtney, like, I, it makes me feel like uh, NCR is almost more of, like, a dessert podcast or some ways or more – not that we do. We do have some substance on here for sure. We obviously have our own guests, and I think hopefully we're not – totally without nutritional value but wta insider is just like super meaty and substantive and just i feel like especially as it goes into next year like if you want to get caught up on what's happening in women's tennis like you won't you're going to cover the bases i feel like pretty I sure well hope so pretty that well. is the goal that and we and goal. we ignore large swaths of things on ncr all the time we really do no, we, I think WTA Insider, I think the whole goal of it as just an entire thing is to kind of actually get into the weeds, yeah. you know, like not a ton of like 10,000, 50,000 foot takes on things, but to really get into the detail and, um, you know, tell the stories that, that no one's really telling for whatever reason. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, that's the goal and stick with us and, uh, it'll be fun. And you sound different. To it. And the other thing is like your voice on it is like people say, oh, you get sick of your voice, but you do have a different voice on that podcast than you do on NCR, which I'm sure you're conscious of. Yeah, definitely conscious of that. Um, first of all, I'm sitting there talking to myself, yeah, which is so hard. Like you guys don't even know. Like it's like really, really difficult for me to just sit and talk. So it doesn't. It didn't sound natural. I thought when I was doing dry runs to do it talking in my very conversational tone because I just sounded like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. So it's it is a little bit different. It's it's a little bit more scripted, um, and because of that, it, because I am trying to convey information um, as opposed to uh, have a conversation, because I'm not having a conversation. So, it's, but if I'm conveying information, then I'm conveying information to the listener, which is the conversation. So the tone has to be a little different. Dare say it's Koenig esque. Oh my God! Stop with the serial <laughs> stuff, you guys. I I saw very... that, and I kind of agreed with it. No, it's very, I mean, everybody knows me. I listen to like tons of podcasts and stuff like that. It definitely, you know, has podcast voice, um, you know, but it's not necessarily serial. It's it's NPR. It's This American Life. It's kind of all of the, you know, all of that sort of stuff kind of influencing me in terms of, in how I do it. But it'll get better. Um, I'll get more comfortable as, uh, as as the episodes go on. So, you know, come along for the ride and you know, you'll hear funny exchanges between Mia Sharapova and her agent Max Eisenbud. You'll hear, yeah, just Osaka, fun stuff. I think stuff. Osaka, Garbina Muguruza, Sonia, and Martina. Yeah, it'll. It, I've I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I think everybody has too. So check that out. And now, at long last, we will rant rave. I guess that could have been a rant rave right there for the show. But yeah, I'll give you a real one, Courtney. You got anything else? If you have any more talking to do, any <laughs> any anything else you want to share feelings on? Uh, my only thing that I'll say is that I've I'm currently in my fifth fifth week away from home. Uh-huh. So I've been in Asia for five weeks now, possibly going on six if I make the trip to Zhuhai. If I qualify for Zhuhai, that's we'll still see. up in the air. It's still up in the air. I don't know uh, if I'm uh, actually going or not. Last night in the mini bar, I just I didn't realize that there was a second drawer 
um, of my mini bar. I just thought, thought that there was a fridge. And inside my drawer was a pack of cheddar cheese Snyder's pretzel pieces. Ooh. Um, and I was like, oh. And so I grabbed <laughs> them and, and I started eating them. And literally the first bite, all I could think was, this is the first taste of America. Not home, because I saw my sister and my family last week. And, you know, I got some home cooking all that sort of stuff. But it was the first piece of taste of America I've had in five weeks. And it was glorious. And it was just the best bag of pretzels I've had in my entire life. I just savored every single bite and I loved them. And weirdly, can't wait to get home to just kind of keep buying Snyder's cheddar cheese pretzel pieces because now I just have this ratatouille connection to them. <laughs> um, and it makes me happy. And so, uh, so yeah, go get yourself a pack. They're tasty. They're good. Thank you for that. My, I have <laughs> That's a really random one. <laughs> that was good. I, that was, I, was so good though, because Ben's like, uh, because I'm normally with the heavy cultural things. I'm like, no pretzel pieces. Well, I, I did pumpkin spice lattes last week, so we're just this clearly just hungry on this show, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. I have a very mini one. I was just listening to my iTunes on shuffle as I was waiting for the show to start, and I. Shuffled to Antichrist Television Blues by Arcade Fire. And I think it's still amazing that Arcade Fire has a song about Joe Simpson. That's really my whole end of that rant. I just think it's incredible. I'm very glad that happened to like commemorate the last decade, like the previous decade, the aughts, whatever you want to call it, succinctly. It's so oughty. I don't, it's so oughty. I don't think there's like anything that like makes me happier as an aughts like time capsule thing that would need a lot of explaining. Um, all of it. It would be like a, an aughts think piece about like these five artifacts define the aughts. And it would be that song. Um, so that makes me happy if you don't know that song. Listen to it. And the other thing is I went to a Redskins game uh, on Sunday. It was the first time I've been to an NFL game. A Washington game? A Washington. We call, we call them the locals. Uh, yeah, like the locals are playing this weekend. That's they, funny. People use these euphemisms for obviously the team name, which I already said. Um, and I'm not like – I obviously to introduce the topic I, it was necessary to say that um people make the weirdest uh cartwheels around the team name which has been relatively recently decided honestly because i mean i've been living in dc for close to three decades now and it, the team name was never an issue for the first two and a half of those um and it's become more and i don't think it's i think it's totally valid for it to be an issue now but it's just sort of strange how it became one relatively suddenly after it being a non-issue for a long time anyhow i think they should change the name at this point uh, but they're terrible, and I went back to their stadium for the first time in like four or five years, and it shrunk. They removed like eighteen thousand seats from the stadium. I didn't really realize it, and it's really striking when you're there. It went from like ninety-one thousand to seventy-three thousand, and it felt because even though it's still huge, it made it feel like just this weird diminished, shrinking, like ruin in progress. It was like some yeah. big coliseum that was already like losing pieces and it was sad but it was also felt deserved because the redskins the reason uh the washington football team the reason i haven't been there in so long is because they're terrible and they totally alienated everybody and so it was this weird sense of like architectural karma i don't know yeah. i don't know how to describe it but it was like a very odd feeling being in this stadium that had like large bites taken out of it mm -hmm. used to be a thing and it maybe showed also it was very like whoa kind of feeling being there because obviously the nfl it's the biggest sport in the country, but I think people, everyone agrees that I think, I think hope everyone agrees that um, it's probably on 
has had had its peak a few like a decade ago or so, and it's now going to be slowly on the on the downhill uh, from now on. And it was a weird, just I don't know, everything about it was this weird. Felt like a some things had changed, things were moving. It was different, and taking like eighteen thousand seats out of a stadium, that's drastic. That is an admission of defeat. You would just, I can't imagine. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to do that. And just for optics. And also there's the part of the reason uh, someone told me, which makes total sense, is the NFL has these weird blackout rules where yeah. if you don't sell out your stadium, the game doesn't get shown on local TV, which is an insane rule and should be abolished immediately. But so in order to keep the residents on TV, they had to shrink the stadium. And I don't know if, to pull it back to tennis somehow, I don't know if this is going to happen to Wuhan or uh, to... Uh, I don't know what other stadium seems big at this point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a weird thing. And it shows that, that sports, you know, are not, not immune to changes and pressures. We haven't seen like a major sports league fold in our lifetimes, but this goes to tennis too. I guess you see tennis tournaments fold all the time or move or whatever. But uh, it makes you, makes you wonder when this stadium was one of the biggest in the NFL, uh, how permanent any of this is at all. So that was weirdly high sounding. Sorry, but that was my <laughs> thoughts. And the chicken tenders are just as bad as they were when I was there before. The, like the fan experience is awful. That's well, that's why, the big that's thing part of why is no what I heard. Yeah, that's yeah. the big thing that I heard is that it's, it's just not fun to go no. to that stadium. No. Um, it's that better now than it used to be because like, the parking lot's empty. Traffic isn't as bad because it's emptier. So but like, isn't it like the red? Isn't it Washington that like like you can only bring in like a small Ziploc bag of like m&ms if you oh. wanted to or something like that it used to be really really um yeah like militant really about... militant. like there was like yeah. gestapo yeah there was like i remember my dad actually had like a bag exactly that like had like a bag of m&ms in his like coat pocket and they like confiscated it or like threw That's... it away and he was like livid forever about that I yeah no like, i would oh. be yeah i would absolutely be i'm like okay fine like i can't bring like you know a foot long you know, or, or a, a ten or foot long. So- that's like potentially yeah. Dangerous, but yeah. But like, if I want to bring in a bag of peanuts, or if I want to bring in a bag of like sunflower seeds to a baseball game or like a football game, like you got to let me do that. And it was a and most baseball does. Baseball is usually better about it. But like, mo- and the thing is, like, it wasn't like they even sold M and M's inside. You know, right. it wasn't something that was available. He just wanted it because he likes chocolate, and they didn't sell chocolate in the stadium and all of it. Yeah, Dan Snyder is just the worst person in sports by or one of the worst. He is competitive, yeah. but he's awful. And it was this weird sense of, in that way, like karmic justice that his building is collapsing around him piece by piece. So all of it was, was fun. Tennis yeah. players have gone there. Uh, Serena was there for the season opener when her Dolphins were playing. Wozniak, Wozniacki was there somewhat when she was uh, associated with one of their players, Ryan Kerrigan. So, you know, tennis and Redskins have decent-sized connections. And, uh, yeah. I, don't, I was trying to make this relevant to people who probably don't care about the Washington football team, but uh, there we go. I guess that'll be it. See you guys later. We'll be back with you next week after Singapore, I guess, from Zhuhai or wherever you are in the world, Courtney. Hopefully wherever yep, yep. you are, you're having a lovely time. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.